With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Eat, Sleep, Suplex. Retweet. Hello everyone, welcome back to East Meets West, you're on the Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet podcasting feed. The G1 Climax may be one of the best times of the year for, you know, your pure Japanese wrestling fans, but if you're people who cover the goings-on in New Japan Pro Wrestling, it also means it's one of the most stressful or busiest times of the year, because then you need to figure out how the fuck we're going to cover all of all the shit that went down in a short amount of time because Dean Wilson doesn't let us do 12-hour podcasts around here. So I am one of your folks, Scott McLeod, get your breakdown, everything going on, going on here, and I am joined by my partner in crime, Grant McRobbie. Hello, Grant. Hello, Scott. It's, it's a good time to be back after uh, pretty much the biggest G1 they've had yet to date, and mm-hmm. in some ways, potentially one of the most crazy ones. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, without a doubt, there's a lot to try and, and break down uh, with this G1, a very unique one, the first time since uh, the year 2000, where they've done a four-block format. If you look back at the history of the G1, we've they've had times where they've done it into multiple blocks, so they've done the two blocks, but not done the traditional 10 that we've become accustomed to. And what made this G1 feel different for the past couple of years is the borders were open once again. We got some talent from AEW and New Japan Strong and elsewhere. But let's, let's just dive right into it, Grant, about this this four block this four block format. You know, we were intrigued by it when it came around the idea of them trying something different, you know, going back to an old idea, but an execution, how did you find this this format? The execution uh, was messy, I'll be honest. I, it was made, I, I still enjoyed it. But what I didn't like was the whole idea that like someone could be like three matches in while the other person only had one match. I felt it kind of affected the dynamic of the tournament in a lot of ways compared to your usual one for one for one for one for one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was confusing because there were people who would be on the G1 shows like in tag matches but not have like a first actual G1 block match until a good week or so into it and then Come like the final week of the the tournament, they got days where they need to go back to back because you know, they need to get through their block matches because everyone has to wrestle the same number of matches. So you know, I think you know, watching through on the English country, Kevin Kelly and Chris Trotton did try and put a good spin on it. The idea of that you know they're still getting the reps in because they're still wrestling tag matches, but you know 
it's a heavy like amount of competition. You end the block matches and the time off. You know, it's a new way for the athletes to prepare rather than going consistently in block matches like they would be in the regular G1. So I think you can see what they were trying to do, but you know, in more ways than one. You know, it was a case of like you tried it, good for you, but maybe don't try it again for a while. Try another twenty-two year. I I definitely hold off on it for a while. Um, I, I think I would have much rather just had them do like the same amount of people, but larger A block and B block, or just yeah. you know make it work in a way that you don't end up with this mad. Ah, you've done two. I've only done one. Haha, I have more stamina. Get it, Rinji. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't be you know, against, like you said, like extend the number of entrants, but just add more people to the A and B block. Because I don't know about you, you know, some of these tag matches that they would do wasn't always the traditional, you know, oh, I'm wrestling you on this night, so you and a partner be me and a partner, like people from opposite stables fighting each other. You'd have guys in tag matches who weren't even in the same block as the other guy. And I don't know about you, but more often than not, I was looking at some of these matches and thinking, why aren't these people in the same block? Like, why isn't Tom Law in the same block as a Zach Sabre Jr. or a, you know, a, a Shingo Takagi and people like that? Oh, God, yeah. Because like, like, that's it. You had these kind of wild ideas for, like, as, as you say, it's not just putting the standard, ah, you're in a block, ah, let's give them a little preview. It's like, no, let's put something random. Tom Waller was a fucking gift, and I'm still gutted I didn't get him in ZSG. Oh, I mean, we don't get to cover much New Japan Strong and the US uh, stuff that they put out as regularly as we would like to over here because there's just so much going, else going on on a monthly basis in Japan. That, you know, it kind of falls by the wayside, but you know, if they book that for the next like major show, like they announced that New York show, if they book ZSGV Tom Waller, or if they're willing to fly Tom Waller over the UK for Royal Quest, then oh, that's uh, making a priority of checking out that match. Oh god, yeah, I'm I'm totally behind Tom Waller and his jorts. <laughs> his jorts. <laughs> one match, one match he had, he had like three pairs of jorts on and a cup, you know. But he also, you know. Much like Ned Flanders' approach, he made it look like he was wearing nothing at all. Nothing <laughs> at all. <laughs> Zach Sabre Jr. is walking back to his stupid sexy lawler. Oh, uh, <laughs> But like I said, mentioning people like Tom Lawrence said earlier, the uh, the borders opening back up. Uh, it feels like everybody who they brought in from like, you know, kind of through, they're either from the US side or through the event, or like your Lance Archer, your Jonas, people like that. It did feel like this year, you know, you know, it was a welcome change to see these people back and to see the imports kind of back in and they all kind of added something to their blocks. Yeah, I definitely feel that. Like, whereas some people might have been disappointed they didn't get their Claudio Casknoys, they didn't get their Danielsons or Moxleys, um, which I think we discussed this before, wasn't always going to be viable because how can you take away all your main event players for a, a whole month-long tour of Japan? where they will mm. come back absolutely fucking knackered. Um, but the ones that they did bring in, yeah, huge, huge impact. Yeah, and like you remember like just shortly after the announcement of the G1 like participants we had Forbidden Door, and like Moxley was a long shot anyway, but as soon as it became clear that Moxley then had to be to beat Tanahashi to become interim champion on that show, then you definitely knew he wasn't going to go over because there's one thing really you're going over while still Ring of Honor pure champion. But like AEW's not going to send over their top guy for a month because then 
New Japan's going to want to lose to somebody and Tony Khan may not be willing to fit him in, fit in somebody to randomly come over to Rampage for a match. Now, having said that, he's fought fucking Mance Warner on a week's notice, so. <laughs> That's it. Anything can fucking happen. Let's face it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't be opposed to you know, one or two members of the Blackpool Combat Club coming over for Tag League, you know, or you know, get those borders back open for that tournament, because you and I were talking about that's the next major tournament that's left on the main like, New Japan calendar, and I said to you that I think the border is now being opened again and the relationship with these other companies, that's going to help that tournament more than most because I think you know the COVID year in the one-block format has hindered that more than anything else. Yeah, like, like the fact that like we're now back on our normal calendar, like we're not like the last couple of years where it's like, oh yeah, we still have like three tournaments to go in the space of two months. It's like, no, no, we've <laughs> only got one left. And let's face it, like we, me and you have dream booked this already, the likes of Aussie Open, Blackpool Combat Club, House of Black, <laughs> FTR. Yeah. It's just dream matches. Yeah, because I was even arguing to you, like, are FTR even going to be, you know, the tag team champions by the time that comes around? Like, how much are they going to get to wrestle in Japan before the World Tag League? Because you got United Empire, Chase and Bali, uh, you know, making a claim for the tag titles, but then Contrary mentioned on uh, the final night of the G1 that Ishimon, you know, they never got a proper rematch because they had the triple threat and then the title scene became, you know, between Chase and Valley and the United Empire, then FDR got involved. So Goto and Yoshashi never really got a fair shot to get their belts back. Aye, that's, that, that, like, that's it. They've, they have left it wide open that they can go any number of ways. To me, I would keep FDR with the titles right up to it and have it go the good old-fashioned way with like FTR putting someone else over at Wrestle Kingdom. Yeah, and I don't think they'd really lose anything by that because, you know, I think it's inevitable that we'll finally get the W titles back and I think, you know, I think they deserve more in their initial run because they really they were just holding on to it until they eventually have that match with the Bucks so the Bucks could win them. Uh, you know, because I'm assuming they'll still be Ring of Honor tag champs or AAA tag champs by that point. And, you know, who knows, maybe they'll walk into Wrestle Kingdom with four sets of tag team titles, you know, kind of like the Bucks did back in the day. That is exactly what I think is going to happen, definitely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mostly that's still to come in a few months. Then we'll go back to the G1 and, you know, there was a lot of positives to take from this, you know, unique format, you know, it's something different, you know, you're, I'm willing to see how it goes, but I think if anything was going to showcase the potential negatives of this kind of format, it was how they booked the D-block, that absolute clusterfuck that was the D-block, uh, or as Kevin Kelly and Chris Shelton decided to name it Operation Chaos, where it came so close, far closer than it should have, to a potential seven-way tie. I know, I, I like, I think I, mes- I messaged you about that, and I was like, I think we're facing a seven-block tie in D-block, and I just, it was like, the prayer circle was going, it's like, come on, big Ujiro, fucking keep it alive. <laughs> and he I fucking know. did. Oh, like Yujiro and Yoshihashi suddenly becoming potential contenders. Because uh, that was the thing, like where some people would be automatically or mathematically eliminated early on in a ten-block format. You know, with with only one or two wins, they're still mathematically in there when they're still got they still got one or two matches to go because of the the short number of matches you may have. You only get like six matches in a seven-block format, but. 
And much as you a wrestler may not train all the all these years to be the guy who has to take falls in a big tournament like this, but you know we must not underestimate the value of having people who are there to take falls. And I don't know why Yujiro and Yoshiashi suddenly needed to get ideas about their station in this block. <laughs> I know. Like, I think at the end of it, like I read it, and I'm pretty sure Yoshihashi had like either a four or a four point two five star match, and I was like, "What world am I in? What's happened? Am I alive? <laughs> am I in a coma?" I know. The weirdest thing happened since we've been covering this, like from the pandemic era onwards, is the sudden evolution of Yoshihashi from guy with pointless background guy with you know who carries a staff to guy who wins matches and carries a staff. And still always perpetually looks lost while he's doing it. <laughs> he does, yeah. And still has one of the worst finishers in wrestling. <laughs> Looking at you, Butterfly Lock. But yeah, it just came out of nowhere. I'm pretty sure both Yujo and Yoshihashi out of nowhere got wins over David Finley, who at one point looked like he was going to win the block. And then with like two days of block competition to go, you know, if he'd beaten Yoshihashi, David Finley would have won D block outright. And they're like, no, we need to keep people guessing right up until the final night. Then they had Yoshihashi beat him. I was like, wait, what's going on? What is this? Like, like D block, I'm, I'm pretty sure anyone that does like maths and statistics, like D block, they they suddenly go from oh yeah, I love statistics, I love spreadsheets. To, nah, fuck this. <laughs> you know, David and Stephen, you know, the nerds that did a math degree. Like, I know David doesn't watch much New Japan, but test them. You're like, oh, I love numbers. Really, try and for, figure out this D block. David, go on. I tell you. I would actually love to see it because I'm pretty sure if you were to give this to either Dave or Steve and they were trying to explain it, it would pretty much turn into like a really shit version of Steiner math. <laughs> so you're, you see, you're big, you take, huge. <laughs> <laughs> see, normally you go into G1 with there's 10 men, you got maybe a 10% chance of winning. But then you're automatically go up when you're only seven of you. But then you go in against, well, that's where you're assuming the Kagi, automatically go down. But all of a sudden, Yoshihashi starts winning matches, your eyes even go further down. So you take your ten percent, add on a thirty-three and a third percent chance. The numbers don't lie, and they spell disaster for you at Budokan Hall. I don't know what the fuck they were thinking with that block because, like, it seemed clear enough in the other blocks, uh, where it's just this one they say, "Well, fuck it," because <laughs> maybe they thought when they built it, like. Okay, it looks like it will come down to Shingo and Wall Street, which it kind of did in terms of who was going to go through. But it's like, let's not make it as obvious as it looks. <laughs> let's try and throw some doubt in there by. I think Gato booked a few surprises and then suddenly realised how mathematically weird that would be. So decided to embrace the chaos rather than fix it. It's like, wait, what the fuck are you doing? It's like, ah, oh, no, 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 we're too far in. Let's just run with it. <laughs> let's just go with it. Yeah. Anyway. You swerve into the chaos. It's like, oh. shouldn't we be going away from this? No, 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 no. Continue. <laughs> Keep going. Uh, so it, it created a confusing kind of situation. We'll try and break it down when we talk about these finalists because the four block finalists ended up being Okada coming out on top of the A block, which many people could have already figured uh, going into the tournament. Tamatonga upset Jay White on the final night of block action to win the B block. Tetsuya Naito won the C block. 
and Will Osprey through a lot of brain testing, you know, tiebreakers managed to win the D-bot because he beat, you know, because David Finlay, who had a tiebreaker over both Will and Shingo, uh, lost to Yoshihashi, he was kind of out of it. So it came down to the case of if Will wins his match against Juice Robinson, which he did, and Shingo lost to ELP, then Will would go through. So, you know, if Will had lost, then Shingo would have went through automatically, or Shingo just had to win his match with ELP. But because ELP, again, another shock we'll talk about later on, beat Shingo Takagi while Osprey went through. So Will Osprey, Naito, is, this, is the one semi-final, and Tama versus Okada is the other semi-final. Out of those four semi-finalists, you know, what are your thoughts on these four as your semi-finalists? You know, which one of them is the most shocking to you? Tama. Tama was totally the most shocking to me. I was like, but it does technically make sense at the end of it, but it still didn't make it any less shocking when it actually happened. I was like, because Tama seemed to be in a bit of a a losing streak for a while. You know, he got the Never title. He lost it in the first defence to Carl Anderson. Um, his, his whole sort of face turn has been really quite dramatic, I think. But when when he actually when he pulled off the upset against Jay White and leading to I don't know if you've seen it, but possibly my favourite ever Jay White post match promo. <laughs> I don't believe I did see this. Please, uh, I guess I saw part of it uh, where he's just he's trying to do his all today to Jay show, but he just he can't muster up the strength. Oh, no, it was it was literally just like it was like thirty seconds of him just on his knees going. Fuck! 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 He just starts screaming fuck over and over for about 32 seconds and goes, right, let's get out of here. <laughs> Sometimes you just need a good scream, you know, it's cathartic, you know, get that out of your system. Oh, it was absolutely amazing. I was just, I was like, yep, this is promo of the year. And, you know, it, it was interesting the way that lined up for the semis because. You know, Tama wasn't just like somebody being set up to lose to Okada. It was a case of, you know, yeah, he's beaten the champion, which creates intrigue. But also, you're reminded that last year's and last year's G1, you know, because Tama was Jay White's only blemish in the tournament this year. And last year, he was Okada's only blemish in the G1 tournament. So he's beaten Okada before, and then Okada got his win back. So it's a case of Tama's capable of getting upsets when it really matters so you're kind of almost saying like are they going to ride this whole redemption of Tama to get back at Jay White all the way again and go through the Tokyo Dome the answer was no <laughs> it's like no lol Okada wins <laughs> Okada wins lol and also Naito Osprey Osprey who like fair enough you could all him or Shingo you could see going through and then we didn't think it would go to the confusing you know mind puzzle of breaking down the tiebreakers that it ended up being but Naito facing Osprey I was shocked to hear from Osprey that this would be a, a first time ever meeting between these two because I feel like everybody kind of in the main heavyweight division through tournaments like the G1 has faced each other at least once but you know no no a genuine first time ever match in your semi-final yeah I couldn't believe that I was like wait these two have never met one-on-one before that that can be and I went and googled I was like nope it's right, they have never met one-on-one before and they did not disappoint. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was. It, it even seemed like even seemed like you know, Naito wouldn't even get anywhere close to the final because he took two big losses early on in the tournament. He lost to Goto, 
in his first match and then lost to Tanahashi and then it was a case of he's he's fighting to to make up the the numbers he's fighting to from underneath. He's like, oh, he's still alive, he's still alive. He managed to get through evil because <laughs> if he lost to evil, that would have been game over for him. Uh, he went through, got through evil, and finally got to the final night of the block where he took on Zack Sabre Jr. And you want to talk about meltdowns? <laughs> Nitro pinned Zack in like two and a half minutes, and Zack threw the most epic. You know, forget his Boris Johnson flip out. This tops that. He's throwing chairs around, he's wearing one around his head, he's smashing tables, he's yelling that he's going to wear a night roll as a suit when after he skins him, which I love Chris Chatton coming. That's not very vegan. I was like, that was unreal. I think one of those beautiful things though is Naito absolutely trolling him in the ring when he's like losing his shit outside the ring and he's hitting a chair down and Naito's copying him in the ring. <laughs> I was like, oh, that is ultimate top tier shithousery by Naito. I love this. <laughs> He's just going, and then he, he's backstage going, he's still carrying the chairs, he's still got one around here, like, fucking night out! The skin you're like, where's the suit? And he tears down the, the, the big background they've got with all the logo, like, what's even behind here anyway? Just tears it all down. And just he just sits down and he just starts repeating the word fuck over and over again, like, I was, like I was supposed to get my shot in the UK. I fucked it. It's it's still unreal as well, like because Zack Saber Jr. was involved in like two of like fairly like the shortest matches in the tournament with that and night on the absolute comedy gold that was him v's evil. Oh, the and that image you sent me of like Zack's face from behind the popping out from behind the curtain while he's got a hold of Dick Togo's arm because he sent one of the poor young lions out there and he was oh you were. Uh, dressed this time with his head down, he gets battered by evil, and they say, like, wait a minute, this isn't sick. And they go looking for him, and he gets a hold of Dick Togo, and he pops his head through with a big smile on his face. Oh, that's good. That was pure comedy gold, and then like, they went to a match that went for 44 seconds. Ah, uh, my favourite kind, <laughs> <laughs> kind of match. But yeah, I mean, it's nice to see an evil match go so short, but. Yeah, it was funny to see how that happened. Yeah, four, four fucking seconds. I think they even said the shortest match officially in G1 history. <laughs> oh, I like the shortest match in G1 history, and it doesn't belong to Tits. Uh, and Toriyano was not involved at all. Oh, God. Toriyano. What, what a standout as well, just for that, that exchange with Tom Lawler. DVD. Mm-hmm. DVD. Sister <laughs> Act 1 and 2. <laughs> this right one and two. There was this right. It was number one for three weeks in Japan. Gordon A. Chris Shelton. He opens up the Annals DVD, which is uh, a pay per view which will be available at the end of the month on New Japan World of a glamping trip that the guys from Chaos took. Uh, and he opens up. There's no DVD inside it. He's so very upset. disappointed. <laughs> well, Okada, I know we say Okada wins all by everything, but he went through a fair. No block. He was in using the the monster block. He got to fight Tom Lawler. He fought Yano, who went back to his old kind of more vicious ways for that one match. And then he fought also the big guys. He fought Lance Archer from the final night, and he took a clean loss to Jonah in the G one in the main event. And Jonah even got on the main afterwards and said, "This tonight is one year to the day I got released from WWE, and look at me now." I know that that match between Okada and Jonah was, was absolutely stunning because 
I've I felt for a while that like Jonah's been released and uh, it, it was on such a wave of momentum when he was released for WWE and I feel that he's not quite always capitalised on what it could be but that statement when over Okada it's kind of like when Cobb beat Okada before it really makes the big man stand out mm-hmm. yeah and like the fact that Lance Archer seemed like a threat to Okada even up until the final night I was talking to Ross about this like the people who get lost in the shuffle in, in AEW uh, because other people get signed and you know, there's not enough room for everybody you know oh, we, you and I talked about it when the G1 finalists were were announced. Fucking Lance Archer's name pops up, and there's a loud "oh" from the crowd because you know they remember how much a monster he was in in New Japan before. And then like there's a sense because he beat Jonah via count out, quite a few count outs randomly in this tournament. Uh, Jonah took two losses by by count out. Uh, but then he fought Okada, and if he beat Okada, Archer would have went through. So, you know, it's kind of night and day compared to what he's doing in AEW, because you and I were talking, like, other than his match with Hyman back in February, I don't know what else he's done this year in AEW. Well, other than landing on his fucking head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, other than was, that, yeah. No, no I'll actually, I'm going to point this out, because I felt it was, it's not technically a wrestling moment, but Archer, see every night that he appeared on commentary. Mm-hmm. He's fucking brilliant. He knows what oh, he's yeah. talking about. He's actually quite funny as well. Yeah, I love the, this revolving door of commentators that Kevin Kelly had on the nights that during the block matches on nights where Chris Charlton couldn't make it to the shows. So he had him, he had Jonah one night, he had Tom Lawler a couple times, and he also had El Fantasmo. You know, a couple of guys, you know, bringing around odds and everything, but I like that like Jonah get character because he gets slagging everybody off. And then ELP was just was just at the wind up. Oh, ELP was ultimate shithousery. Like just winding up everyone. It's like, no, no, don't hit me. I'm on commentary. <laughs> there was one night where he was sitting there in a big fucking red like Hawaiian style shirt, like something Magnum PLI would wear, and he's eating pizza. Like I got to bulk up, you know, I'm wrestling heavyweights. Every so often, someone would come over uh, to the commentary, but so Kevin Kelly could get some comments on them. And he's like, I had a slice of pizza. Uh, I love the fact that Archer just grabbed one and just took it with him. I know, it's just like, yep, that'll do me. Thank you very much. And he's like, okay, I'm not going to fight you. <laughs> but uh, moving away, do you want to talk about Osprey again? How did you see this guy going? Did you think it was a kind of a two-horse thing between him and Takagi? Because you know, I'd heard some people going into the tournament, because you know, Osprey was like 3-3 three and three with six points. So he kind of just went by through the... T- through like tiebreakers and everything, but I heard people going into the tournament who expected him to go like with no losses throughout his block. So I think he was a a far departure from what some people were expecting. Yeah, it was it was a, it was the departure. I thought there was going to be a bit more dominance, but I, I still think Osprey going through was clearly the right call because they did have big plans for him, and he was one of the people that got attacked with the curse of the new belt. Mm-hmm. Um, and they clearly still have big, big intentions and big plans for him. And just perhaps they've just made the choice at the moment. We're going to it's like let's hold off there, but you know let's let's get the glimpse through. And Osprey's story with like the US title throughout the belt that he should actually have, and it took him like half the tournament before he got the fucking thing in his hands. <laughs> yeah, because like oh, yeah, uh, Juice Robinson with it constantly 
doing his own announcements because the referee, the, cause the ring announcer wouldn't announce him as IWGP US champion. Then Finlay beat Juice Robinson and I took the belt from him and basically said to Osprey, I'll give you the belt back. And then he beat Will Osprey, gave him the belt back. And Osprey kind of for a little while looked around around just so defeated, like, I just got my belt back, but I'm losing. I might not win the block. And then he finally started winning again. And then, like, two nights before they were meant to fight in the final night, uh, just Robinson and the Bullet Club attack him and steal the belt back. So he had to get it back again on the 16th. Just came out like, where's my fucking belt? And Dante just had had it under the ring. Oh, honestly, God, it was just top tier shit shithousery involving that US belt. And, you know, it, it, it feels like the US belt could come back to relevance again now that we've got it in the kind of realm of talent that is constantly there. Yeah. Yeah, obviously, you know, Osprey's got some like solid challengers now set up through this tournament and through the, the block with this whole story of the belt jumping back and forth between different people's possession. Uh, looking at the, the four blocks, I'm going to take a talk about this before we go on to we go on to the, the semis and that. I'm going to talk about the, the, two, the four people who scored the lowest in their respective blocks. So the lowest score in A block was Toriano with just two points. He only got one win. I think that was over Jonah by count out. Tomohiro Ishii got four points in the B1. He's the lowest scorer. He's kind of tied with Chase Owens and Great Okan, but he's listed at the bottom. Aaron Hanari only got two points, but those two points did come over Tanahashi. And just Robinson on four points in the D block. Despite the fact he started off his tournament by getting a win over Shingo Takagi, his only other one came via DQ over El Fantasmo. So... Other than Toriano, the other three seem fairly surprising in terms of you know how lowly they scored. Yeah, it was it was quite a quite. A, I think as well, well, so we're never going to get massive scores with each guy only getting six matches. But you know, other than like a couple of bits, it's, it was just it was quite a wild ride when it came to the the scores. And Ishi got done dirty. I'm saying it. Oh yeah. He lost to Chase fucking Owens. Chase Owens beat Tomohiro Ishii cleanly as well. Where is this coming from? In the last calendar year, Chase Owens has pinned Tanahashi cleanly, won a tag belt, and then beat Ishii in the G1 and scored above him in that same tournament. Like, Again, what is with Gato? Who's who's paying him? This might like it was one thing when he had that bone of evil because Dick Togo was probably in his ear, but what is it with these other people? Uh, it was just totally wild, and apparently, like I read, um, it's a rumor, one that I hope is not true, but this was apparently going to be Ishii's last G one. I was like, don't you fucking dare say that. Oh yeah, I'm pretty sure Chase got to be on commentary at one point as well. But yeah, like they were even asking on on commentary, like are they gonna have to ask some questions themselves? You know, well the doors open and all these other talent want to come in. Is this gonna be his last you won because he was he was this close to only going with one getting one win in the tournament, but he managed to get a win on the final night of block uh, against Sanada, even though both of them were kind of mathematically eliminated anyway. He kind of he got he finished on four points at least. Uh, Juice Robinson, I was surprised about because the first night his first match and the second night overall of the, the G1 tournament he beats Shingo Takagi and it feels like oh like he may not win but it'll be a strong showing for just because he's in this new heel persona they're setting him up as a 
potentially become officially the US champion and everything. And then he just kept losing. Just kept, I mean, he lost to Finley, which made sense, and then he lost to, to Yujiro. He lost to ELP. Beat, you know, he beat ELP via DQ. And then, yeah, like, you, you could just see him walking away from match at one point, like, so defeated, like, I lost to Yoshihashi. Like, how far have I fallen since I got that belt <laughs> next past me? I honestly, like, the fact that he beat ELP by DQ and it was just the story in that was was one of my favourites like actually just frustrating Phantasmo to the point that he goaded him and he using the chairman Phantasmo done it he was like what have I it was it was like Anakin what have I done <laughs> it's that celebration like oh no just he's real gen mate he's real gen uh, and Aaron Hanari like I probably expected him maybe you know, maybe the lower scorer of, of his lot given like he's got you got Tanahashi, Goto, got like four former world champions and this and then you got Zach and Kenta who are always contenders. So he was kind of the odd man out, but just randomly the first night of the tournament, it, it seems like the first night, the first couple of nights going forward again, just have random people beating a big star out of nowhere. Because he just beat Tanahashi. Just no build, nothing, just like, oh, he just beat Tanahashi. And then afterwards, like loss, 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 another loss. I know it's it's really unreal. It's like, oh yeah, we're gonna have like you beat one of the biggest stars that we've got. So I'm gonna beat everyone else. No, not even close. <laughs> it's just odd that because like he beats Tanahashi, Tanahashi immediately bounces back, beating the likes of Naito and Evil, and a very competitive match with. Competitive matches with Zach and and Goto, like it's just like yeah, like oh you you look you what an upset when you lost to Hanari, and actually just look at walking around like ah oh, that didn't face me I'll actually win this tournament. I absolutely unreal, hundred <laughs> percent. But then we go into the actual semi final matches of Osprey versus Naito and Tamatanga versus Okada. The addition that Okada Tamatanga was first maybe they thought that. This match was more predictable than the other one, so they put this one on first. And I liked how, you know, how close it came for, for Tam at points, but it was obvious that Okada was going to win. And then Naito Osprey kept me guessing it the whole way through. His, he wasn't one of my, he wasn't the person I most wanted to win going into it, but one of the also person I had on the terms of like favourites you'd have going into the tournament, I think. Like, yeah, Naito's always a contender. And then I heard people talking about it, like, yeah, Naito's turning 40 this year, and he, he's before claimed that, oh, when I'm, like, in my early 40s, I might hang it up. So I think, oh, it might be the tell a story of this is his last shot and everything. And then when, he was tell- when they were showing the story of him, like, losing two first two matches and then having to battle back to get through the block, like, okay, Naito's definitely winning this, this G1. Which, so I was going in there thinking, yeah, he's probably going to beat Osprey, and then Osprey just clattered him with that hidden blade and pinned him. I was like, Oh shit! <laughs> I mean that that night when Osprey match was just brutal. It's like I was like, clearly Naito still has no regard for his own well-being, even though he's not got his like worst encourager there in the form of Ibushi. He's like, ah, Ibushi's not here, but I can still try kill myself through the ring. Let's do this. I mean, well, Osprey, he he's dropped himself on his own head multiple times. He's injured his neck. There's a man who's just in, he's in the ring just months after the, after he nearly died. He'll he he'll he'll fill this a bishy shaped hole in my life. <laughs> because 
the kids are like, yeah, they've never faced each other before, but it's good. But now they're like making up for a lost time because they're just throwing everything at each other. And you know, looking back at it in hindsight, part of me is glad that that Naito didn't win uh, this match and go through at the final because that would mean the fourth Naito Okada match we've had to talk about in as many months. And as I said to you last time they fought, I'm like, as I said to you last time they fought, I'm kind of, I'm kind of willing to wait a good, 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 good few years before having to watch that again. Yeah, it's one of those matches that don't get me wrong. When they get together, they usually go all out and make it really fucking special. But then they water it down like the old Cena Orton stuff. Cena yeah. Orton, two hundred and seventy six. Like, please no. Please no, not again. This time we're having an Iron Man match. Fuck off, make it end. <laughs> but yeah, Osprey winning, I, I felt, I felt was a was a good was a good call. Like the, using the hidden blade more as a finisher, it yeah. makes sense. You get elbowed in the back of the head like that, yeah, you're fucking dead. Yeah, so I think it was in the night match that for the first time during the whole tournament, he, he managed to successfully hit the Stormbreaker as well. He'd been able to rely on the hidden blade as a finisher because, like, he's like, fucking lethally concussed Abushi the first time he ever used it. So, you know, it's like a believable, deadly finisher. And so that took Will Osprey on to fight Okada in the next, uh, the next night in the finals. Didn't seem like a massive loss to Tamatonga for losing because, you know, he's beat Jay White. He's already secured himself a world title match. So we had a knife. We had Okada versus Will Ospreay and Ospreay. Well, I thought it was a hell of a promo, both in the ring and in his backstage comments. I talk about how he's accomplished everything there is to do, except for one thing, win the G1 and go on to Wrestle Kingdom in the main event, because he's already like main evented before, but he's not won the G1 to get there. And also, he's not beating Okada cleanly. The, last time he, the only time he ever beat Okada, he had a great Okada interfering for him to launch the United Empire, so as Chris Allen said, these are two things he's been wanting to do for a long time, and now he needs to do one to to achieve the other. And if they go into it, it was like six and one in Okada's favour. And I know Osprey's like, I'm going to take this company out of the dark ages. We can't keep going back to people like Okada. Okada won. <laughs> it's now seven and one in Okada's favour. Like, you know, Wrestle Kingdom, he thought maybe they'll do it here because. You know, it'd be weird to predictable to have Okada win in the Tokyo matter beating Shingo. No, he won over Osprey again. Like, okay, now else is really making a point about it. Maybe now we'll finally get the win. Nope. Like, how many more times does Okada need to win before Osprey gets his back? Because I know he's won once, but again, they made the point it wasn't clean. And the more the numbers go up in Okada's side of this of this equation, the less and the less meaning the ones on Osprey's side go have. Yeah, th- this is very much similar to the whole. Remember the Okada Sanada situation when it's like Sanada got the win over Okada, and it's like, yeah, You're like it's. I think their record is something like seven and two or seven and three, and I'm like, for fuck's sake, man, throw him a bone, give him a chance. <laughs> I, you see the bit of Will Osprey cutting that great promo as well. I for, we we forgot to bring up that that other great Will Osprey po- promo. I can't remember who he was talking, but it was someone with lots of nicknames, and he just goes, "What? So these nicknames? I'm dyslexic. You can't." <laughs> and I, uh-huh. I actually had to watch that promo back about 10 times because I just kept on laughing more and more every time we're coming in with a thick ass accent I'm dyslexic you can't 
It's like, did he actually just say the C word there in a promo? <laughs> yes, he did. I can't remember who he was talking about, but he said one of the nicknames. Like, like, what is that? What does that even mean? I'm dyslexic. You can't. <laughs> I don't even know. Was he even expecting that? Oh. Honestly, I but, could not believe it. I was like, "What? Ha- what have I just? What have I just watched? This promo is short, sweet, and absolutely beautiful." <laughs> I mean, I remember going into something. Like, I tried to not think that okay, it was going to be the predictable Kada winning the G one and everything, but you know, I was finding it hard to believe that Osprey would win because you know, Osprey J like heel v heel in a Wrestle Kingdom main event doesn't seem like the traditional New Japan way of doing things, and it just seems to be it, like. When when Gato Munson advances right now his plans for the for the Wrestle Kingdom you know, card and he goes to the main event, something takes over his hand and he's 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 forced with the thing like don't must write Okada's name into main event. <laughs> must book Okada in top spot at the dome. It's Okada's cheek in the back at oh yeah, by the way, I'm no defending this. Like uh, yeah, by all means I'll have special singles matches and that in the lead up to Wrestle Kingdom, but I'm not putting my spot at Wrestle Kingdom on the line. I'd like, beg your fucking pardon. What makes you so fucking big about it? Then to go, and, to go and trash the KOPW, which he made, because he didn't have a title at the time, so needed it something. It was your idea, you prick, which you've not been able to actually win. You're, you're in the four-way. You lost. You got pinned by Yano, and you've not went back to it since. Exactly. This is absolute horseshit. <laughs> <laughs> this is complete and utter bullshit. Right. Know that. And plus it's bad enough like you had that, you had him slag the new version of the title and like, no, I don't want a briefcase, I want to go around with the old version and then seemingly because somebody backstage told him listen, we're not bringing the old one back, we spent money on this new belt, they fucking hold the new belt and endorse it, so you get a religion and went, I will carry this, this belt with pride, I will make this new belt into something because apparently I need, I have to and then I'm pretty sure in the past he's been like Oh yeah, really, really at this point anything below the world belts uh, is lesser to me, but he's busy in the past slagged off the secondary belts in, in New Japan, so we're in a situation because of how heavily they, they booked him out of the gate of his coming back from his excursions case of like, okay, okay, it's in the main event now, and we're fucked because we can't give him any belt lower than that because fans will see it as an emotion, and apparently so will fucking he. Honestly, I, I was just like, I was like, why do they keep booking themselves into such a fucking difficult corner? Why do this to yourselves? Why? He's he's becoming like the spoiled child of of New Japan as Okada, you know. Like I bet him talking to Gato about how many points he was going to get in the G One is like Dudley for Harry Potter one about the number of presents he got. You know, how many am I getting? Ten points out of the block. Ten points last last year. I had sixteen. Yes, but it's a shorter block than last year. I don't know how many. I don't care how many people are in the block. I'm Okada, damn it. <laughs> yes, it's totally. It's just like he's, he's literally the child that was crying to get his own way. Oh, he's he's becoming fucking insufferable. You know, like it's not just bad enough. Like yeah, if it's on solid matches, and it's getting boring to see him like win all the time. But hearing what he says in, in press conferences and just. No, he, come, he makes you root against him more because he just comes across as a dick. Like, I can say where the fuck I want these pair conferences. Like, they're not going to do anything about it. This is proper, like, Lesnar, Cena, Prime booking, where it's like, I can do what the fuck I want because if I kick up a tantrum, I'll get to keep the belt. Fuck you all. 
I know, Okada. Fuck you. I know Stephen Wilson will be so glad hearing me say those words, but yeah, I've got to say it. Fuck you, Okada. Enough said. <laughs> Fuck <enough>. you. <laughs> oh. No, no, what? No, I hope Jay White fucking batters you. Out of the dome. I, fuck, I hope he fucking batters you. I hope he brings out everybody <laughs> in Bullet Club and they all individually get kicking in the fucking balls, honestly. Because. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I remember what you're going to say. You've got plenty of time now that the G one's in its regular spot, so you can give Okada a rematch before wrestling. You can give whoever beats Jay White in the tournament a, a shot before the, the Dome. But really, this is a case of, oh, we need to book that Okada rematch, but we need to do it at the Dome. Why do we need to do it at the Dome? I assume because Okada must win belt back at the Dome. <laughs> it sounds like, I bet you sometimes, like, when they're, when they're like, where Okada, Okada comes out, like, the underpants gnomes in South Park, it's like, step one. Win G1. Step two. Question mark. Step three. Win belt back at Dome. It's like, no, no, no. No, no. You don't get to fucking miss out that second point. What are you doing? I know. And it's basically a fuck you to Jonah. Basically, like, yes, I, you know, beat me cleanly, but no. But I know no songs as such do people think you would use that to go on to the rest of the kingdom and beat me for that brief case. Because <laughs> I'm pretty sure Okada was okay with it before when nobody won the shots. But he's watched Jay White be a bushy and he's like, they might try and pull a swerve on me. Gato might actually have me lose that title shot. You know what, Gato, I don't feel like defending this. <laughs> it's like, no, no. I see what happened with this before. Uh, no, no, no. Jonah fucking hurts. You'll beat me again, probably. It's like, damn fucking right, you will. You will fucking lie down. You will take that pin, you little bitch. I know, I was going to say, someone's just sitting there like, listen, you will defend that title shot against Jonah and you'll fucking like it. <laughs> I'm gonna turn you, you, you. You'll stop talking shit in the press, Okada, or I'll turn this car around. There'll be no Tokyo Dome for anyone. It's the fact that he's even had the cheek. It's like everyone else is back out, back out, and turn that. Ah, uh, I've got a wee bit of paternity leave. My wife's just had a son, so I need some time off. Fuck you. That's not our problem. Fucking put something on the end of it. <laughs> Honestly. Oh, yeah. I bet you. I bet you wouldn't even put his own son over. <laughs> that 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 kid is going to grow up like four or five years old, doing sports with his dad, and his dad is going to be one of those dads that's like absolutely whoops his ass at everything. Dad, why don't you let him in? You'll fucking learn to get over yourself, you little bastard. <laughs> the first time it looks like his son might beat him, he's just going to drop kick him right in the face. Complete fucking missile drop kick. Boom. <laughs> You're like you're just walking around like yes, honey. Did you see that? Still got it. Best drop kick in the business. Why did you kick our son in the face? <laughs> He's only seven years old. He has He's to learn to how learn. to take a bump. <laughs> He's only. He's still half the age I was when I started taking bumps. He must learn. He's a slow star. <laughs> <laughs> Worst I mean, dad ever. <laughs> I love the kind of legends we create around these people in New Japan, you know, we're doing the retrospective later this year about bloody Great Okan, we've, you know, created this fictional world where he's potentially a porn star in his own right, and now we've and now we've created this world where Okada is the worst father in the world and he's only just had the fucking kids. All hail the Great Okan, Great Oshagger, all hail. All hail. <laughs> but, you know, let, let, don't let all this Okada fashion take away from the fact that the the final versus Osprey was fucking sensational. Oh yeah. 
five stars and I'm like, yeah, no fucking wonder it did. That was absolutely incredible. Despite the fact that I hate the result for who won, every moment of that match was just fucking beautiful. And I mean, Osprey's done saying in real life as well, you know, I've in the past, you know, when he first won the title, given he was still being surrounded by some controversy in real life, I was going all in on the Japan decision to give him the belt and everything. Uh, but and basically saying fuck you Osprey every chance I could get but I even found myself at points where like Okada hits a tombstone or a version of the Rainmaker and I'm just yelling at my, my tablet as I'm watching like kick out kick out Osprey fucking kick out your bastard <laughs> so it just don't you fucking dare yeah don't you fucking dare kick out like, don't you fucking dare stay down and you had guys taking guys taking bumps on their necks on the fucking on the the apron. You had Osprey hitting a version of the the spinning tombstone. It was just like it was just basically like they're pulling literally everything they could possibly do. Osprey was doing these flips again on the outside. Okay, they're again acting like a dick. You know, Darren Osprey hit him, so Osprey just guts him across the face as he deserves, as he rightly deserves, but. Osprey, one of his major faults was talking about the people who'd beat Okada before, who he'd been watching tape of the night before. And so he hits a Styles Clash at one point. It's a V-trigger, but gets too much into it. He goes for a, a one-ring angel, and that makes him susceptible to a landslide and the eventual Rainmaker finish. And you know, Okada wins what is his fourth G1 uh, overall, and he's now alongside people like Boucher and Masayuro Chono, Chono, who was on commentary uh, alongside Tanahashi. He's now one of only a handful of people to win, you know, back-to-back G1s. So, you know, he's now only one away from tying Chono. It's, it's unreal. Uh, was it... There was, like, there was a few other records that got broken in that during this G1, and it's quite fucking incredible when you look at it. Yeah, I think, like, Okada surpassed like triple digits for like G1 matches and I think people like, they said that Tanahashi and Naito and Gore are in that same camp as well yeah like, I, I'm pretty sure it was like Okada had hit over 100 and I was like what well, yeah I think about at least at least 10 matches since 2012 and then like every every they said every time he gets to a final he wins it so he had the final onto that so you don't realise how much it adds up because he's in the G1 every fucking year since like 2012. Uh, and then they said the only other people who aren't wrestling today that were in there, I think they mentioned uh, Nagata and people like that were Jono as well had those kind of digits. And it's amazing. I think we said another few regular, but I don't know who if it was Okada or Nigel, but like somebody surpassed like on the all-time like combined like match length, like combined match length time for the G1 as well at this tournament. Yeah, it's it, it's actually unreal as well to like surpass like combined match time when you have much less matches to do. And like, pardon? How? What? <laughs> it, it's it's just insane. But there you go. Okada wins the G one once again. Again, he's had fourteen overall. But you know, hope, let's live and hope that you know somebody new wins it next year. And by new. No New Japan, somebody who hasn't won it in about three or four years. <laughs> oh god, it's it's been one of those. It's been it, it, it's it's been a good G one. Not gonna lie, it's it, it's better than what I expected. Yeah, 
uh, we shouldn't take away from the overall G1, you know, despite our frustrations about Okada. Uh, it was a hell of a show. Uh, if, it, if it wasn't Okada, would you like have this final of like, Osprey winning, or if you could kind of book it, who would you have had won the G1? I honestly, looking at the entire field and thinking everything through, I, well, let's face it, we know what the heart wants with me. The heart always wants Sonada, my boy. Always wants Sonada, but again, just not his time. Um, looking at the others, I, I really think to me, my my other two choices in mind, credibly, that I would have loved to have won it were both in C-Block, and that was Kenta and Sabre. Mm. I think if either one of them won it I would have been fucking over the moon without a doubt Especially because the dissension in Bullet Club with Kenta J.Y. at the Dome would have been absolutely sensational Yeah, if I was going with my heart the winner would either be Kenta or Shingo because you know Shingo I don't think he's got a fair crack at getting his belt back uh, after he lost it to Okada so I think he did. He deserved to, you know, have a, a winner in a tournament like this. And basically, Shingo, I'm gonna, like I said before, every New Japan Cup and every G1, I'm gonna say Shingo's the favorite in my heart to win it until he finally fucking wins one. Because <laughs> I don't think he's won a tournament. Like, even the that one Super Juniors that he dominated most of, he didn't win. So I'm gonna go Shingo with every tournament he's in until he fucking wins one. But also looking at the tournament before and then the way they kind of started his journey. I wouldn't have been against a Naito versus uh, Jay White match and the door because you know, the idea of like Naito thinking he keeps wanting to be in the main event but something either gets his way or when he does get it, he's such good reign is what he wants it to be so having him versus Jay White in the main event, because it would call back to two years ago where Jay White said it was my destiny to be the double champion but he lost in the first night to Naito and Naito ended up going on to do it and so Jay White's finally in the main event as the champion, like he's wanted to be like, for the last three years. But then Naito's there, like he's kind of a his last chance to have that moment in the dome. Yeah, I mean that's I I did also have the idea in my head of White actually winning the tournament and being able to be like, huh, I get to choose who goes after the title at, at Wrestle Kingdom. And guess what? It's fucking no one. Get it, Rundies. <laughs> and the reason I loved this idea in my head was because this is pure pure fantasy booking outrageous fantasy booking but I love the idea of like White winning the G1 giving it all the big licks at the end of winning it saying that's it I'm taking Wrestle Kingdom off get the oranges and then all of a sudden boom the cleaner Omega oh I thought you were I thought I thought you were going to say like a Bushy or something comes out a Bushy would be a good one as well but just imagine it imagine the actual fucking out like the pop People would not give a shit if they weren't allowed to be vocal. That place would erupt. Mm. If Omega came out being like, well, you see you're taking Wrestle Kingdom off, but actually, no, you're not. I'm taking a crack at you. And I'm telling you now, but I'm not going to wrestle in New Japan until the dome because my body's still fucked. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, like, that, that was complete fantasy because I was like, yeah, there's no way like, Omega would be... Well, technically, it could be ready for that in January, but obviously, AEW will want them right back in. So it's like, yeah, that wouldn't happen. A man can dream. A man can dream. Yeah. See, that or just the great old Shagger wins everything. Yes, all hail. All hail. All hail. So, 
I mean, even saying Ibushi coming out would be fantasy because there's all the stories going around that there are even people within New Japan who don't think he's ever actually going to ever actually get a comeback. So you know, that ongoing saga continues. But Jay winning the tournament as champion, given like you said, there's history and there's precedent for this format of tournament and the champion winning it, and they even tease you right up to the end with like Jay going five and zero before his match with Tama and. Having some stellar matches as well, even even against two zones, you know, as as much the great teeth as that is, the whole thing where he was gonna pay Chase Owens off and then Chase actually looks in the in the envelope and half other than two of them, all the other bills are just blank. <laughs> yeah. And I I'm I'm still I'm still heartbroken over the, the Ibushi situation because just when it looked like things were getting better and they were gonna get somewhere with it. They've done that whole press conference, and then it's like, hold on, I never fucking agreed to this. It's like, oh, <laughs> god damn it. No, stop. Why can't we all just get along? Why can't we all just be friends, god damn it. I miss oh. that complete suicidal murderous bastard. <laughs> we, we need all the ones eventually back trying to kill himself and kneeing people right in the fucking head. Is that too That's- much to ask? I miss those cold, dark eyes when he goes to that other place better than Randy Orton does. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Is it weird that Shibata is more likely to wrestle again in New Japan than Ibushi is at this stage? Yeah, it's, it, that was rather alarming. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I know. This man you know, could have died. He, you know, his, he had an issue with his brain. You know, you don't, that's the worst place to have, a, to have issues. That was bleeding and everything. And yet somehow he's still going to have a match probably in New Japan before Ibushi is. <laughs> 20, one of the many reasons 2022 is the weirdest fucking year so far. And that's saying something given what we've had the last few years. Absolutely unreal. You <laughs> <laughs> uh, say English commentary throughout this tour was fucking sensational, not just with the, the recurring cast of you know, guest characters, but you know, one of the other weird events in 2022 was Vince stepping down finally, and when Kevin Kelly's going through potential people to give him the co-host with him, he said, "You know, I heard somebody's, uh, I heard somebody's got a quite a bad time on their hands," and then both he and Chris Charlie goes, "Ah, good shit." Ah. <laughs> I love that. I, I, I honestly, I, I when I first started, no, no lie, like wasn't too sure in him at the beginning. I was always like. He just seems kind of tacked on the end to throw in some useful statistics and information, but he always seemed a little bit shy. But as times went on and he's really, really came into it, him and Kevin has been an absolute... I never thought anyone could replace Don Don Callis, but Chris Charlton has more than excelled in the role. All I need now is for Chris Charlton to make the same screaming noises as what Don Callis made when Suzuki tried grabbing him. <laughs> oh, I do, I tell you... Look, you can tell that he and Kevin are getting more comfortable together on and that's causing their, their chemistry and their banter to be a lot more entertaining. Like, like the, you know, Kevin has got a book out, it's in Japanese, and so Kevin Kelly can't read it, and so Chris John keeps telling him, like, oh yeah, you had that bit where he just says nothing but bad things about you. Like, what? <laughs> oh yeah, there's a lot of Kevin Kelly bashing in that book. Oh, it's going to be, it's going to be class. <laughs> <laughs> Also, like Kevin Kelly making another WWE reference, because yeah, he asked 
uh, before the Zen they asked them, what were you doing 22 years ago, which was the last time they did this four black form. And he goes, well, I was just finishing my GCSEs, Kevin. What's that? I think it's our equivalent of middle school. Uh, and Kevin kind of goes, I was in the WWE. Well, WAF then, we hadn't gotten the F out yet. But then 2003, they told me to get the F out. <laughs> oh. Honestly, God. I, I, these two can just like just. I would honestly just happily sit and listen to them talk all day because they're they're just funny. I don't know. You get that great mix of basically they, you know they present you to you like like not like it's real but like they present to you in a very serious way with a lot of you know like real fight, uh, you know scenario. They give you all these like important like historical background statistics, and then they also make you pinch yourself laughing when you least expect it. So. The hell of a duo to have on commentary, but let's go back to the G1. I know outside of you know bashing people like Okada, uh, tell me about some of the other like standout matches and some people in this tournament that you really enjoyed watching. So, got a, got a few like um, I, I say a match that stands out to me that goes right back to the beginning was um, El Fantasmo and Will Osprey. That match was outstanding because we had a serious ELP. It wasn't taking the piss. It wasn't trying to be wide. I, I feel throughout the whole tournament we got a different El Fantasma from what we've ever seen before. One that I think his days in Bullet Club are numbered. Mm. I I honestly I could I could see him I could see him leaving Bullet Club at some point between now and Wrestle Kingdom. There's just something about it. The shift within the, the club and the way everything's moving around. So him and Osprey was a fantastic match. Um I'd probably say my top match of the whole tournament. If I was if I was really nailed down to one in particular, it would probably be um, Saber and Kenta. That was unreal. Those two have got an insane chemistry with each other. Yeah, I I I'm always rooting for Kenta no matter what. Often I'm disappointed, but I'll still root for Kenta no matter what. Yeah. Much like Gina said, he's on the Mount Rushmore professional wrestling team. The only thing that'll make that Conte team complete is when Gino finally returns. So that day, occasionally pops in, says a word, then runs off again. It's like, oh, oh, he's away again. Where did he come from? How did he do that? <laughs> uh, I mean, but yeah, I mean, like Saber, Saber Junior, and Kenta was a top one. Um, White and Ishii never failed to produce. Like, you know, it, it would be easy enough to just say the final, because let's face it, the final was probably the best match of the whole tournament, but they actually put on so many bangers. It's unreal. Hmm. I know. And like, that's the mark of a good G1, you know, like at its peak, you know, in the last few years, uh, at, at its peak, that's is like match of the year contender after match of the year contender. And that's why, like, some people have been down on the last couple of years. The G1, even though there have been some stellar matches coming out of it. So, I, looking at it, you know, I also love ELP. <laughs> I love the weird mini story between him and Yujiro trying to, him trying to steal Peter away from Yujiro and asking asking Peter if she knows what consent means and also telling her what, in his mind, what ELP actually stands for. <laughs> and only for her to go right back to Yujiro. Uh, talking about Kenta, I was annoyed that he got screwed over evil. Uh, he, gave, he gives him a copy of his book, and Chris John just goes, Evil can't read. 
<laughs> like evil can read like he's Ralph Wiggum or something like that. When imagine when Bill Cooper tried to vote on decisions like okay, like no, evil's vote doesn't count. He can't even read. <laughs> oh my god, it's just too also, good. Like there was like a multi man tie match on this tour where Dick Douglas tried that thing where he reached his hand out to evil and he stretched. No, actually, I had extra rest on a stretch for somebody, but I think it was against the ZFJ. ZFJ then uh, reversed it, grabbed Dick Togo's arm with it and realising it, and then his stable mates grabbed Dick Togo, so he was caught in the middle. And, of course, that leads to Chris and, and Kevin going, oh, no, please, don't stretch Dick. <laughs> honestly, I was losing my shit. That. I was like, I was like, honestly, with all these Dick Togo jokes and stuff like that, I was like, if I had a drink for every time a joke was made, I would not make it out the other side of the G1. But like ELP getting that win in the final night, I don't, I don't think anybody could have bet on beating Shingo Takagi with the new finisher, the, the CR3, and then coming out the next couple of nights with his jacket saying, I'm Shingo's daddy. <laughs> I still couldn't believe that. I was like, I'm Shingo's daddy. And just going, going back to that, like that original sort of thing that he said to Shingo, it's like he doesn't even know what ELP means. In case he doesn't know, it's extremely large phallus. Because <laughs> I loved it. I loved that he got Chris Charlton to like. Because he wasn't at the press conference at the start of the whole tournament. He just got Chris Charlton to read that thing, and I was in fucking tears. <laughs> I know he said like you look like Logan Paul had sex with uh, the abominable snowman. snowman. I love it. Like ZSG and and just Robinson, they're openly pissed as You can see. David Finlay kind of covering his face trying not to laugh like I shouldn't laugh at that but that's fucking hilarious ZSJ is fucking he's gone he's like no not this dead dead a couple of other favourites that had also Jay White's always fantastic but it was always a long shot him winning as champion Goto I was happy to see him finally get some major wins you know getting the win over Naito especially and then seeing him battle back you know He's fighting for the, you know, unlike Okada, Goto's actually a good father because his son made a wish that his dad would win the G1 and become champion both New Japan and AEW. So, you know, he was doing it for his kid and he sadly, sadly just missed out on it. But I think Evil kind of screwed him out of, you know, finally making it to the to the semi-finals and which led to a glorious bit of backstage commentary with, with, with Goto looking in the camera and saying to his son, if you ever grow up to be like evil, I'll fucking disown you. <laughs> oh, that's like that is solid parenting. It's like don't even think about it, son. You will get disowned. I don't mean this in any other way. You will be dropped. <laughs> then we would. Then we would. Then we'd be all for go to drop someone drop kicking their son if they turned out to be like evil. Giving them the GTR. Yes. <laughs> Like, I have only one son, and his name is Yoshihashi. <laughs> Come here, son. Let's get rid of this imposter. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Don't let those mean boys tell you you look like something at a bow selector. <laughs> <laughs> I, just really, I just really want, like, a Japanese bow selector now with New <laughs> Japan guys. Yeah. Like the story also, Goto's always been overconfident going the even like all the G and G one stand for Goto, but it's not really gotten him anywhere since his first one. So 
you know, now he's getting more serious and actually got him some wins, but he just fell short again this time. Also, talking about like first few wins, uh, something that Chris Shelton commented with Will Ospreay's loss in his first few one final, that me that goes one final in their first time being in the final, and now nineteen people have lost in their first team one final. <laughs> oh my god, that's unreal! No way. <laughs> yeah, it's now seven and nineteen in favour of a uh, first time finalist. For the exception, obviously, of the first ever G1 final. So, it's a case of G1's a tournament. Unless you're very special, you have to get knocked in a few times before you actually win it. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> but, of course, I was... I was At first, I was looking at the A-block, like, I don't know if I'll enjoy all these, like, big man matches. I don't know if this is kind of my thing. And then I realised, like, it's not big man v big man matches. And I don't, like... It was just basically whenever one of these big men went up against Bad Luck Fally, because <laughs> Fally's ones were the worst out of the one the whole lot, because, you know, Jacob, Jonah, hell of a match, you know, any of them against Buddy Lance Archer was amazing, but my favourite of the whole A block was, without a doubt, Filthy Tom Waller. He lost his first two matches and then suddenly got an edge about him, but you then see how heartbroken he was after he lost to Okada, but of course... The greatest match in the whole tournament was not through any wrestlers fighting each other. It was the eternal battle of George Michael versus Boy George. <laughs> oh, this is God. I could not believe it. I was like, wait a minute. We're getting Boy George and George Michael in a contest. I'm, also, I'm, I'm sold on this. Oh, oh and the, the tag match where he gives Zach uh, a record of George Michael, and then when Zach goes to put in the corner, he brings it, pulls out a boy George, one jets, boy George, H.A. Man. And Chris Charlton had three bangers on commentary, and I will tell you about all of them. So first off, he said, you know, you know, it's never change your business, Kevin. If you really want to survive, you really have to be a karma chameleon to survive here. And then when he gets the boy George, boy George record, he gets smashed across Zach, and he goes, you know, wow, talk about a last Christmas. <laughs> and then they, Zach has someone on the ground, he's punching him, and Chris Charlton, the best of all three of them, he says, well, it would really appear that, that Zach Jr. really wants to hurt Zach. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Oh. oh. Honestly, I could not contain it. I was like, he is absolutely on fucking fire with these references. <laughs> <laughs> they were I assume it was maybe Abba but you know knowing knowing Chris being English he could have been an Alan Partridge reference but they were talking they were joking about a sign saying the knowing me knowing you aha so you know the, the odds of Kevin Kelly knowing who Alan Partridge is are very slim <laughs> oh my god uh, also love ELP and Kenta getting annoyed at some fans because they had a sign for them, but then they turned it over and they had support for LIG on the other side. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. And then they, they fought, saw another fan of that same seat the next night and they checked it and they had both sides bullet clubs, so then they too sweeted them like, yeah, see, this is a true fan. It's like, see, they're on our side. Thank you. Too sweet. <laughs> so it's like, pick a side. Pick a side, goddammit. <laughs> no. But yeah, it's been a 
long and exciting, but also kind of exhausting G1. So let's talk about some. Uh, let's talk about some announcements. We got Wrestle Kingdom. It's back to one night, January fourth, twenty twenty three. But it also means that New Year's Dash is back on January fifth. But if you're hard up for your two day shows, don't worry because Royal Quest in London is going to be across two days on October first and second. And they also announced that there will be a show in New York towards the end of October, I think it is. A battle on 44th Street, which should be an interesting one. So, yeah, your response to Wrestle Kingdom being one night once again? Thank fuck. <laughs> like, none, none of this, let's have a faction visa faction, then the next night, let's go and have like three, like, three people from those factions going to singles matches against the people that they just fought the previous night. What is the point in that? Then leading on to a third night, which is a week later, against another promotion, which isn't even put on fucking live. Mm. Hey. Yeah, I, I was talking to Ross about this on Central. I don't think they gave a specific reason why it's back to one night. You know, The last time it was one night was Red Kingdom 13 back in 2019. Uh, when Tanahashi defeated Kenny Omega and Kenny Omega is kind of one song for New Japan and I think it was the case of it, they did the double gold dash so they needed to be two nights and I'm assuming Covid kind of caused them to continue doing the two nights for a couple of years but now I feel, I feel like this is a sign that New Japan's once again returning to its kind of normal schedule with the one night and then the New Year's dash which is kind of their best way of describing it, it's their raw after Wrestlemania when you think about it and you know, I'm looking forward to it because hopefully that means no fouler this time. You know, every match on the show means something, but knowing them, they'll suddenly say, oh, by the way, the pre-show's going to have a ramble and three six-man tags on it. I mean, that's, I, I missed Dash because Dash is always one of the best things because you have no fucking idea what is going to happen. Mm-hmm. I know, like you had like Suzuki Gun return at that show, you had Moxley show up shockingly to attack the attack Suzuki and what I like about it is you get a bunch of like challenges for different people for the next big tour, which is usually no begin new beginning. And I, 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 remember when was, I was gonna say like you're you're rhyming off of these great matches and like even remember the, the fantastic banger that was what was it, uh, like Shingo and Evil against Goto and Ishii. Yeah. Ah yes, remember those days where we liked Devil and he was part of Lij and wasn't an insufferable cunt. <laughs> <laughs> ah, those were the days. But you know, like I said, if you're in in the mood for two days New Japan shows, you got Warrior Quest. But uh, it's a bit bittersweet for you, Grant, isn't it? Don't, don't even go there. <laughs> don't even go. The one weekend that I'm in London, already booked for something, and they fucking book it the same weekend when I can't bloody go. And then they host it in Crystal fucking Palace. No one likes Crystal Palace. Even Crystal Palace fans don't like fucking Crystal Palace. It would have been even better if they just held it in fucking Oldham. At least I would have had a reason to run on the pitch again. God. Damn it, Gado. There's more to there's more to the UK than London, you bastard. <laughs> bastard. I'm turning into Jay White. Fuck. Fuck, fuck, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> oh Jesus. 
thank you, thank you for that. I needed that. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Grant's a bit miffed. <laughs> but we got Royal Quest coming up, but we did get a big announcement regarding that because. As we know, uh, New Japan is working alongside uh, Stardom to current the first ever IWGP Women's Champion, which will be defending across Star Promotions and also in the US as part of New Japan Strong. And we've got like, seemingly a Japanese bracket and an international bracket. And the first matches from that international bracket will take place on the second day of Royal Quest. So, you know, much else is known, obviously. We've got a couple other tours to go through in Japan before we get really anything uh, for an end for that show. But, you know, it's nice to see actual you know development taking place on these kind of shows. Yeah, there is like there, there's like so many things like coming out like the two day request, and I only just realised I think we've missed yet another show which has been confirmed. I think so I mentioned just, the show in New York. No, no, there's another one. Have you have you not have you not seen historic crossover? Oh yeah, yeah, I was going to get to that, but you know I was talking about Stardom and I was going I was going to lead into that. It's, honestly, I'm just I'm actually starting to lose my like lose plot of, over what because when I when I thought cro- like the Stardom crossover, I thought, wait a minute, is that just a part that's part of Royal Quest at the beginning, or am I missing something? Fuck's sake, stop doing this, Gado, stop overloading me. Yeah, I believe uh, is that the historic crossover that the the finals of this tournament uh, for the new, for the women's championship will take place. So I also got a bunch of mixed tag team matches as well for this show, and this historic crossover. Uh, I say Tom Waller has been featured on the, the show with teaming with Suri against uh, Gilia and Zack Saber Jr. Uh, you know I'm gonna stop <laughs> stop reading out matches because I don't know much about Stardom, so I'm gonna fuck up some of these names. But <laughs> still look at the matches; they seem solid. Oh yeah, like, the the matches have got announced: Tom Lawler and Siri, Saber and Julia, uh, Goto and Ma- Maika, Tanahashi and Haya Shishita. Uh, you know, it's just honestly, if you'd said to me like even just like going back a couple of years that we're going to get like a crossover show between Stardom and New Japan, I would have laughed at you. Going, that's not happening. New <laughs> Japan doesn't. New Japan doesn't let women into the arena unless they're like Peter or Miho. Right. Also, they're splitting up Suzuki Gun with uh, Desperado and Duke Doki having two partners from Stardom against Taiji and Kanemaru. It's just, I'm like, wait, what? What is going on? Why are you putting my children against each other? <laughs> what are you thinking, man? You evil bastards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but before we get a Royal Quest or the Historic Crosser, we do have the latest tour, which is Burning Spirit. Which is uh, starting in a few days. I think only a few of the shows are actually going to be made available on New Japan World, but it's all going to be leading into the twenty fifth of September, where we have three big title matches, which, include, which are Will Osprey defending the US title against David Finlay, Carl Anderson against Tanahashi for the Never Title, and the Ass Masters getting their rematch against Akira and TJP for the IWGP Junior Tag Team Titles. Are holding off on the world title match JYV Tanzong until the next tour, the end of the next tour, which will be a show on October 10th called Declaration of Power. I'm not gonna lie, Burning Spirit really just sounds like that, like the name of like me in Manchester on that stag do after eating nothing but chicken wings all weekend. <laughs> uh, 
I've never been happier not to be sharing a room with Graham like probably in my entire life. No, instead I shared a room with Count Dracula. I mean, Count Davula. <laughs> <laughs> Knowing Dave, he seems like the kind of guy who just weirdly falls asleep right away, so not even you would have time to knock him out with whatever toxic glasses coming out of your ass. I still, I, I still think we may be agreeing with it. It's, it's wild that we've got like an announcement for a match at Declaration of Power, but we don't have any match announcements for Royal Quest. Instead, all they're doing on Twitter is being like, this person's coming, and this person's coming. Just fucking tell me of them all! <laughs> fucking tell me. <laughs> fucking tell me now, yeah, but the people have to know. we got Jonah and Okada, a declaration of power as well. Uh, although not for the uh, not for the briefcase, because Okada is a dick. So we've got two big matches confirmed for that, but still some solo matches. Uh, here for Burning Spirit, Carl Anderson getting to defend that title, especially against Tanahashi. It's always good to see uh, Carl Anderson defending. It's always good to see Carl Anderson wrestle in a singles match. And uh, he and uh, he and Doc Gallows had a match in the finals against Tanahashi and David Finlay, and they said it's their first two-on-two tag match in Japan since February of 2016. That's good. I was, I was like, wait, how long? No way. Can't be. I is. But then you've also got Buddy Yano getting involved, constantly trying to hit him in the balls, trying to annoy Doc Gals at any chance he gets. The backstage comments after they both got hit in the balls by Yano. Like, I mean, do you not know that the, that the big LG's got small, tiny balls? He is very sensitive about his ever shrinking scrotum. <laughs> Honestly, that, that, that's one thing I missed was I've I've so missed the Good Brothers being let loose in backstage promos in Japan because it's always fucking gold. Uh, you got like, he's got bloody Carl uh, Anderson's got a bloody bullet club thing over this over his never belt and everything. I mean, I'm, I'm intrigued because they were trying to, they were planning on making a triple threat before you know David Finley before Just Robinson said. Oh, by the way, I need to pull out because you know my appendix might burst. Uh, <laughs> so I'm surprised they didn't try and book a triple threat match for this tour, like just David and Will Osprey for the US title. But maybe they'll, they'll hold off on Will versus just set either declaration or maybe they'll even do, go all the way to the dome for that. That's it. I mean, it's there's so much they can do there, and like the, the good thing is they're not rushing some of this. Like, let it breathe. Give us a chance. Build it for the dome. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a weird one because it's one of the last points we got. I didn't mean for it to be at the end here, but I'm looking at some of the matches for the the tour leading into Burning Spirit, and uh, there's another name teaming with members of United Empire. Or he's either teaming with like Akira and TJP, or there are other nights where he's teaming with like Okan and Jeff Cobb, Gideon Gray. Like, Will Osprey teased a new member of the United Empire. As I said, you could give me a hundred guesses, and that's not the name I would have came up with. I know, like, like I get, like, storyline-wise, why it works. Because, like, Gideon Grey was the Great Okan's handler who kind of started the whole Empire stuff. Uh, well, he called it the, the Legion in Rev Pro. But it's a very, very odd choice of everyone that they could have went for. I really was, I was so hoping 
that they were actually going to go for the uh, the new Rev Pro title holder, Ricky Knight Jr. I thought that would have been a fucking coup d'etat, coup d'etat that, like, because apparently New Japan are interested in him. But no, we're getting Gideon Gray. Yeah, like as we said, oh, he's possibly when that's a surprise. Stay tuned for that. I thought, I thought oh, there'll be a big angle, like, I like Royal Quest to reveal a new UK wrestler, like you said, Ricky Knight Jr. or even Bloody, even uh, Bloody Bring Back Gabriel Kidd to be part of the group. But, you know, just the fact that he's an intel, by the way, in this tour, Gideon Gray is here and he's teaming with the Empire. So I'm assuming he's a new member now. But, like, you look at him, especially since now he's got no hair. I look at Gideon Gray and I think, yeah, have you ever watched a children's program made in like the late nineties, early two thousands that that has a very mean looking headmaster? That's what Gideon Gray looks like. It does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He does look like he's he's gonna really like give you a strong telling off when you're went to school at Biker Grove. <laughs> he walks into <laughs> a constantly has he always has he always has a look on his face like he's just smelled a really terrible fart. So God knows so, what would happen if he spent five minutes in your presence. I'd better say so he's in the same room as me. <laughs> oh, I imagine you'd be his least fucking favourite person ever you met him. Oh yeah, definitely. Without a doubt. <laughs> oh, Jesus. So there. There you go. Uh, I think that's just about everything else from uh, New Japan. We did have some stuff in the US. Some well, there are a few uh, shows in the US that they've held recently that I want to go back and check out because it looks like there's some still a match. Like that show they did in Nashville, SummerSlam, you can have not checked out, but you know, I want to see, obviously, Desperado versus Moxley, uh, Alex Zade and FTR, Kent's, I think it was United Empire or something like that. So that sounds like a hell of a match. Uh, they recently crowned the, the first ever strong open weight tag champs with Aussie Open, seemingly the obvious winners taking the belts, defeating, I believe, was Yuramura and Christopher Daniels in the final. Yeah, and I'll be honest, like, I, I shared it in the, in the chat the other day, even though it's not an, a New Japan matchup, but it is still Aussie Open, the, the strong champs, and I'm sure you'll be wanting to watch this as much as me, Aussie Open against Motor City Machine Guns. Well, yes, hook it, hook it up to my veins, hook it up to my veins. Like, that <laughs> is... Me the- Unreal. Someone is going to die from getting their head chopped off. Oh, I, I really, really not can't wait. I think the Good Brothers are also on that same taping that same day. I met a fight like Taven and Bennett for the tag belts, and then I have a feeling they're losing those belts so that the, the Good Brothers can be freed up to rock more in Japan as we get closer to World Tag League. But Aussie Open, man, they've they've got a hell of a last couple of weeks, haven't they? Because they won the, the the strong tag belts. They've already defended them at a strong taping recently. It hasn't aired yet, but they took on the Minnesota wreck. They took on Royce Isaacs and Jarrell Nelson. They defend the titles against Destination Everywhere at a recent Red Pro show. And uh, we're recording this on Tuesday, but by the time you hear this, uh, a few days later, it will already have happened. But this week on Dynamite, them and Will Osprey are fighting Bloody Death Triangle in the Trios tournament. So, fucking those boys, boys are getting about in Bloody. Fair play to Will Osprey after a big long tournament after he had big tape across his back, his back and neck during his G1 final match. He then went to the UK, lost his rare pro belt, and now he's flying over to America to fight Bloody Death Triangle. Yeah, that was it was like I'm, I'm like these boys are really fucking they are, they are going 
all over the place. They are going big time with it. And that, that, that honestly, that trio's match against Death Triangle, I defy anyone not to be excited for that. That, that is going to be like in the ring because that is going to be insane. I mean, there's no real losers no matter what way it goes, but I'm kind of rooting for the for United Empire because given the side of the bracket though, and if I'm right, and I believe I am, if United Empire win, they'll go on to fight the elite. And, you know, especially given the recent comments that Will Ospreay's made about Kenny Omega calling him a bitch because he, he threw off that because of Osprey accidentally concussing Ibushi that Ibushi couldn't come out and celebrate with Omega before he left for, for AEW. Just basically like, I want to see these two fucking bad each other because God knows with the punk stuff, we've not got enough of people real life hating each other in AEW. I know, like that. that is... Wait, I, I'm, I'm like, I wonder what it must be like sitting backstage in the AW some of these times lately. And I can just imagine because Osprey is not known for being able to keep his mouth shut. And Omega, <laughs> Omega always defends himself as well. So that is going to be fucking beautiful. <laughs> to, to, get, to contrast that with some people who are actually getting along in AW, something that was weirdly wholesome was a clip from because yeah, Death Triangle cut a promo on the last week's Dynamite. You know, basically calling out Aussie Open ahead of their. Uh, Ahead of the trios match, and it's a clip of some of a uh, Pat getting like psyched up before the promo, and you know, Pat saying something in Spanish, and you no know, kind of patting on the back, and back and he's big jerks, and right, let's fucking go. <laughs> <laughs> or or Hangman backstage, and in, in the clip that's been going about from the, I think being the elite, like yeah. I want to see more fire, more fucking sex. It's like pardon. <laughs> And I think a guy pops his head, and, you know, Punk's in the ring, like, get out! Get out, we're busy! <laughs> it's like Punk's in the ring, he's calling you out, get the fuck out! <laughs> I really want to see Osprey and Pac again mixed up. I want to see Pac come over to New Japan with that All-Atlantic belt, or have him come, come back over to Red Pro and fight Osprey for the All-Atlantic belt, because, you know, Osprey's connecting, collecting country-related belts, he's got the Red he was the, the British champion then, now he's a US champion. He's just going after belts with countries or continents in the name. See, I, I love this. I, I love the idea. I know your brother's not the most keen on how they're doing the whole Atlantic belt, but I like the the idea of it getting defended all across the world in different indie promotions because they still put the matches up for free to watch on Dark and that, so anyone can watch them. And it builds up something a little bit different so that when it comes into like a big title match on a pay-per-view it's like this belt has been defended so many places against so many contenders it's got a good bit of prestige built behind it I think Ross has been an issue with it because Pac's on his draft team and this is me and Pac has not been on Dynamite so I'm assuming <laughs> Ross I'm assuming Ross will greatly be in the corner of Death Triangle for this trios match so we can get some fucking points on his team but that's a discussion for a different show on this network that's for Saturday Draft Live it comes out every Saturday I mean, it's a place we treat podcasts and feed. Alongside many other shows, like a, a feature show that comes out weekly. We've not had one this week, but don't worry, we've got some solid shows coming in the next couple of weeks. Last week, we had Quiz Showdown, that made a return, looking at the best of WWE in the UK. We've got Yes, this is our central, we had a special Tuesday edition this week, and we're going to have a. I'm going to probably be hosting the next couple of episodes because Ross is buggered off on yet another fucking holiday. Uh, and you also got East Beats West, which comes out. On a, on a monthly, sometimes twice monthly basis, and trust me, you're going to want to stay tuned for East Meets West when December comes around because you're not going to be disappointed with that. But you can also follow us, like, 
Give us a like, rate, and review on your platform of choice. We're on Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, wherever you choose to get your podcasts. You can keep up with the latest content going on. Eat, sleep, 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 retweet. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at SleepSleepSleep. You can join our Facebook community page, get involved in the conversation. Join our listeners league for our fantasy draft. Potentially get slid off every week by us. But again, we knew going in this would be a hefty show. We've been here for over an hour and a half and... You know, we finally made it to the end, and I think, you know, with the potential not just from people outside spending more time in Japan, but with what's been set up through this G1 and what could come at Wrestle Kingdom and Royal Quest, it's uh, it's once again an exciting time in New Japan. Oh yeah, it's definitely an exciting time. I really also have to thank you, and amongst the plugs for specifying that Saturday Draft Live comes out on a Saturday, otherwise I would have got lost and looked for it on a Sunday. <laughs> well, this is a week where everything. Well, every other show this week is not coming out in the day it usually comes out, so people need to know that Saturday's Draft Life still comes out on a Saturday. Of course. <laughs> but yeah, this has been, you know, G1 season. We've been we've been stowed out. I mean, that was pretty much 22 nights of wrestling we had to watch in the space of a month. Which is mm-hmm. fucking unreal, <laughs> really. I, I struggled to keep up at one point, mainly because Certain devices weren't allowing me to watch New Japan World for some reason because I was apparently a dick in a past life. And then I thought you could get through this faster if you start watching the pre-match, you know, the you know, preview tag matches. But then some weird combinations came up with guys that weren't even boxed. Like, I may not get another chance to see this. I want to watch this. And thankfully I did because where else would I get to see an argument between two wrestlers fighting over who's better between Boy George and Boy George Michael? God, we should put a poll up about that. Who is better, George Michael or Boy George? Oh, yes. Nobody's going to... The context will be lost on 80% of the people who take part in it, but, you know, I want to see some actual musical debates going off here. <laughs> oh, yeah, that, that's definitely... That's going to get community yeah, engagement, that. Yeah, people who will believe on one side and they'll have faith in it, and the other people who will be offended because they're on the other side wondering if the other people really want to hurt them. So it'll be a hell of a question. Let us know on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram who you prefer, Boy George or George Michael. Thank you everyone for tuning in to another episode of East Meets West. We'll be back once that once that burning spirit clears up and we're ready for a declaration of power. Bye bye. There now follows an enthusiastic advertisement for Quiz Showdown. Hello guys, welcome to Quiz Showdown. I'm Daniel Campbell and in the show you're going to see the members of the Eat Sleep Suplex retweet team go through a very strange quiz. We don't know what the heck's going on with it, but you're going to have to watch to find out. Go check out on the YouTube channel now. That was an enthusiastic advert for Quiz Showdown. Sports Social Podcast Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.